Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Numbers Game. This is the show that is kind of about the numbers, <laughs> the game that is growing an audience, growing a business, but more about how you turn those numbers from vanity metrics into engagement with that audience, how you create fans. And we're telling the story of how we're doing it, telling the story of our business, of the podcast host, and giving you actions and experiments and data around it. So showing how we're doing in terms of like the real data behind it, the earnings, the stats, but also the experiments that we're running live that help you come along with us to try them out, to see how they work, to test out the newest tactics and new strategies to grow your own audience. And as I mentioned in the last episode, obviously this is uh, the first proper episode. The last one was the introduction. So this is the first time we're getting into the actual structure. So it's a bit of an experiment. We'll see how it goes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think about the structure. What I'm going to go through today is a bit of the story of the background of the business. I'm going to split the next three episodes over bringing us up to speed to where we are right now. So this episode will be from the very founding of the podcast host, even a bit back from that actually, in terms of where I started online. And it'll be covering, you know, where the podcast went, a podcast host went over those four years. So from 2011, when it started through to about the start of 2015, which was the first real change, I would say, in the business, the first big change, really. So I'll have to cover what that all means, though. So I'm going to bring you up to there. I'm going to share all the stats of how this, how the uh, the business grew over that time, um, from how it made its revenue, uh, the traffic stats, how we were getting posts out there, what helped us grow over that time. Um, share as much as I can with you, and we'll go into uh, some lessons and stuff. I learned from that period, from the sort of latter part of that, where we changed a little bit about what we do. Now, uh, then we're going to go on to the experiment as well. So I am running an experiment right now in terms of growing an audience. Uh, I'll go into that. It's around email marketing. It's around opt-ins right now. We're testing a few different things and there's one particular experiment I want to share with you. I'm going to test over the next month. Um, I think there'll be some good data around that. So stick around to have a listen to that and then we've got actions as well so something you can do based on that uh, that'll hopefully help you grow your own audience obviously the name of the game is growing fans so really what we want to do is try and help you grow a few fans a week help you go towards those thousand true fans that kevin kelly talks about uh, so if we can get you at least one a week and hopefully more than that then that'd be great uh, now it is myself on this episode, it might even be my, just me on the next one, but I'm going to bring Matthew in and other people too from the team in future episodes, just that this one is really, uh, it's all about when just it was me running the business on its own, uh, so uh, I'm going to cover that myself, but yeah, Matthew joins the team <laughs> in the next episode, which is from 2015 to about 2000, uh, mid-2016, so it makes sense to bring him in on that, so we'll try that one. Let's go back. Let's see. First, starting with the story of the podcast host. So how did the podcast host get started? How did I get into this? It was back, actually, I'm going to go back before that because uh, it really started, my online business journey really started with Mountain Bikes Apart. Mountain Bikes Apart, that is. I always rush through the name. It's uh, a mountain biking website because mountain biking is really my, kinda, my passion outside of the podcast host. And that was my first experiment with online content, really. That was back in 2007, I founded that after first starting to listen to podcasts. It was listening to Internet Business Mastery, really, uh, the Boag World podcast, a few different things that really got me into it. 
And that started the whole journey around uh, podcasting in general as a listener. It started me teaching podcasting at university as well at the time, around 2007-2008. But really it was blogging for the Mountain Bikes Apart uh, website really that got me into this. Over the years, I'm not going to go too much into that because it didn't really, that was really just part time. It was really just a hobby at the time. Um, did put out a couple of blogs every month though, maybe fortnightly at the time. So it kind of started to hone my skills around what readers are looking for, uh, around how to write a decent blog post, around how to do a bit of SEO, you know, try and find what people are looking for um, and cater to that. That's kind of what I learned through those years between 2008 and about the end of 2010 that really took me into running the podcast host. Over that time, I was teaching podcasting. I was doing a lot of podcasting internally in a university in Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh and Napier. And that was when I learned my kind of my podcasting skills, I suppose, through those few years. Started PodCraft during that time, teaching people how to podcast um, within the university only then. It wasn't actually open to the public at that point. I didn't have a public podcast, I think, until about 2000. 11-12 I believe it was uh, for the Edinburgh Napier podcast I put out for the uni. It was all internal at that point and it was all teaching lecturers how to do internal podcasts for their students. But in 2000, end of 2010-2011 that's when I founded the podcasthost.com I bought the domain the end of 2010, I think it was November 2010 and the first post went up uh, where is it now? It was the start of it was second, twenty second of February, two thousand eleven. Um, that's when the stats started Google Analytics as well. Uh, and really, it was slow progress over that first year. It was just kind of the reason I started the site in that point. At that point, actually, was for hosting. I actually started it to do a bit of writing because I'd been having a bit of success enjoying doing the Mountain Bike Support podcast but really it was because the people that were starting to podcast within the university I found a lot of the hosting solutions at that point particularly Podbean were the kind of main one at the time they just it was quite unreliable um the support was terrible actually like things would go down for a day or two at a time I was running a podcast course at one point with lecturers and the podcast host that I was using went down for an entire week and I couldn't run the course because my podcasts weren't available so I started I, I had um, a background's web design so I started the podcast host initially so that I could just host my podcasts on there I set up a WordPress multi-site network I stuck on a bunch of the university podcasts on there and I offered it Outwardly as well, I let people subscribe to it. So my first money made online really was in that way. It was people paying me to host their podcasts on thepodcasthost.com. And that was where the name came from. It was the podcast host as in a hosting provider, as opposed to what it is now, which is about the podcast host, as in the host of a podcast. So It was a very different start to what I initially planned. And throughout 2012, when um, really I was growing that side of the business, I wasn't blogging a huge deal. I put out maybe about 10 to 12 posts throughout that year, uh, mainly a series that I wrote, which was how to podcast. It was really uh, how to, uh, what a podcast is, how to subscribe, how to download them, and then a little bit about how you start to create your own shows. And that was based a bit on the teaching I was doing at the university. Through 2012, it was pretty steady growth. Went from about 10, 5 to 10 users a day up to about 30 users per day by the end of 2012. And I was starting to get some steady traffic um, during 
2013. And throughout 2013, I managed to put out one a month. <laughs> so it was pretty infrequent. I mean, it's not putting out much in a way of blogging throughout 2013. One blog post per month. But I'd been learning a lot at this point through working with some other clients as well. I was doing a bit of freelance web design at the time. Been learning about a lot about SEO, about targeting. And every post I put out was really targeted towards a particular phrase, towards a particular search. I was starting to think about the questions people were asking, the things people were searching for in podcasting. So even though I was doing it infrequently at that point, throughout 2013, wasn't very often. Every single post I put out was very purposeful. It wasn't just trying stuff out. It was really just, it was really targeting things that I thought might start to draw some traffic. And at that point, I was thinking about drawing traffic for the purposes of growing the hosting business. So getting more hosting customers. I thought if I wrote about, you know, mixers or microphones or digital recorders, all that kind of thing, I thought that people would come to that and I'd be able to sell them the hosting service. That was the plan at the time. So, um, that's the kind of thing I started to write about. So I started to target those equipment searches. That's the important part, I suppose, at this point, given where we are these days. We were getting some searches for the hosting as well. So there was a bit of cross-pollination here. People were finding us for the equipment searches. They were searching for things like best mixers, best mics, all that kind of stuff. And they were finding our hosting services. So that was growing a little bit. But they were also searching for hosting. Actually, I was doing okay for the term podcast hosting. I was showing up for that. So people were finding us for that, not necessarily signing up for that and finding the blog posts instead. Some people would actually read about the equipment. Now, throughout 2013, um, now when was it? I um, I was getting, so the let's, let's keep to the numbers here. So by the start of 2014, it was up to about 125 users per day. So 125 people per day were viewing the site. Um, and by the end of 2014, I was up to about 350. So that's where the real growth started. I'll go into the revenue just after this, but let's go through the the stats for traffic first, just to give you a picture, because 2014 really was where it started to grow a fair bit. And I realised that 350 users a day, 350, (laughs) skipping over the numbers here, 350 users a day isn't a massive amount, but that was three times growth through the year. And that acceleration, I think, was because that was when I moved to real regular blogging. I was fortnightly blogging, still not like weekly or even bi-weekly, still fortnightly blogging, but keeping to that really regular, focused, purposeful approach, thinking about exactly what I'm writing about every single time. Um, I continued PodCraft at that point as well. PodCraft had released publicly the year before, I believe, Um, yeah, 2013, maybe even 2012, actually. Uh, but PodCraft had been out, started getting some more of those seasons out and um, season two and three came out during 2014 for PodCraft Uh, and by the end of the year I tried an experiment where I was podcasting daily so I did a month, November I think it was, where I podcasted every single weekday so I got 20 episodes out in a week so during 2014 my output went up a fair bit even though it was only fortnightly blogging that was still doubling last year's uh, ratio I would say which was monthly and PodCraft as well was adding more content to the blog so I was doing good show notes for PodCraft as well so that meant that you know there was a good bit there was probably at least weekly content going out and in that month of November there was daily content going out so it was showing you know the search engines it was showing users people that were coming to read the site that things are ramping up they're getting more regular at coming back and visiting so I think that's why 
we started to grow a lot during 2014 because every year, you know, 2013, I started going regular in terms of once a month. 2014, it was once every fortnight. And then by the end of 2014, it was much more than that. So that regular content just it directly translated into uh, into traffic. That traffic just grew at a regular pace. So it was proof to me that this thing was working, that this quality, the quantity was working and the quality as well. I mean, I was putting a lot of thought into these posts as well. So let's look at the revenue of that. How that translated into revenue was that our UK earnings for um, affiliate income, which has been our kind of our first bit of income, uh, affiliate income started in about um, 2008 in the UK. Now that goes back to Mountain Bikes Apart actually, so it was the previous website. <clears throat> it wasn't the podcast host at that point, but I was getting maybe £10 a month uh, from from Mountain Bikes Apart uh, and then added the podcast host to that as well. So started linking to microphones, to mixers, to equipment in these articles I was writing during uh, 2013. So these equipment articles in 2013 started to add to that UK income. So by the end of 2013, I was on about 20, 30, 40 pounds a day for affiliate income. Not much, I realise, but still, it's something. It starts to cover the costs. Now, 2014 is where the affiliate growth really started. Like I said, the traffic started to grow, but affiliate um, income seemed to grow disproportionately. So, and it was because I was putting out more and more articles. So the traffic was growing, but I was putting out more articles that were that were concentrated on this. And there was one other thing as well that made a big difference. So 2013, we we're on about, you know, 30 pounds a month or so. Uh, by February, it was on about £40 a month. By May, so middle of the year, it was up to £100. So I'd already doubled affiliate income during that time. Traffic had not doubled by that point. So this was just putting out more articles, which had more links in them. By the end of the year, it was up to 200 So we times four just UK affiliate income during 2014. Now, the important thing at this point was I was just linking to UK Amazon right now uh, because I didn't know any better. I was just linking to the UK shop because that's the one that I shopped in. So we were up at 2000, uh, sorry, 200 end of 2014 with UK Amazon. But during 2014, I started using a plugin which allowed Amazon affiliate localization. Now that means that I could place links which were localized to the local shops. So if you're in America, you would be linked to the American Amazon store. If you were in the UK, you'd be linked to the UK Amazon store elsewhere around the world. So I set up an Amazon US account, which you're allowed to do from anywhere. So that's absolutely fine. So I set that up. And the very, at the start of 2014, February 2014, I set that up. And the very first month, straight away, US Amazon was $165. So I was already beating my UK income by miles. Our traffic is split somewhere along the lines of about 60% US, maybe 20 to 30 at UK, and then, you know, 10 to 20 the rest of the world. So just putting on that localization so that I was capturing US and UK affiliate income made a massive difference to us. And straight away, obviously, it was on 165. I was amazed throughout that year as I was putting out more and more content growing the business that by the end of 2014, that US income had increased um, from about 100 a month, uh, sorry, 165 that first month up to about 1100. So it was on $1,100 by the end of 2014. So that growth over 2014 took us up to probably around 
1200 pounds or so a month in terms of affiliate income and that was still only on um, traffic at the end of 2014 was 350 users a day which isn't massive by any means 350 people unique people per day were coming onto our site and the affiliate revenue was about 1200 I attribute that mainly to just being quite focused on what I did. You know, it was really just, like I said, I was just thinking about how people were searching. I was thinking about earnings too. I was thinking about how we could generate more affiliate income by offering really valuable stuff. I mean, I was writing about stuff that I knew about, about microphones I'd tried, mixers I'd tried, about recorders I'd tried, about giving really good advice around this stuff. So people liked it, people enjoyed it. It was giving genuine value and therefore they clicked a link. They went and bought something on Amazon related to that and we got a small commission. It didn't cost that person any more. So I saw it as a really nice way to offer really good value to people, create great stuff, but still start to generate an income for the company. Now, of course, the other way we were generating income at this point was the hosting. I think it was around, do you know, I can't, uh, find data on exactly when we stopped it but I think it was in it was during 2014 that I decided that it just wasn't a business I wanted to be in even with only I think the height of uh, the hosting business I was hosting maybe 20 or 30 people so 20 or 30 podcasts max um, and I'd tried all sorts of ways to grow that like offering free trials like offering different paid tiers all sorts of ways but it wasn't something that was going to grow. It's, it's a commodity business, really. People just go on price. They don't even think about features too much. The guys out there that are really running this, like Libsyn Blueberry at the time, it was places like Podbean, that type of stuff. I wasn't competing with people like that. I didn't want to compete with people like that. I wanted to offer something more tailored somewhere something I could stand out on that would be less of a commodity so it was during 2014 I decided to stop offering that and concentrate on the podcast the content that type of stuff um, but at the height of it like I say we were doing about 30 people I think it was earning I mean it was about um, three to four hundred a month I believe so it was never massive by any means I mean the affiliate income overtook it very quickly during 2014 I think which was also a factor in why I started to draw away from that because there was tons of support involved in hosting obviously things went wrong so that was something that um, yeah we drew away from quite quickly shut that down during 2014 and I still worked with hosting clients for years after that actually but it was just people that already were in there that were just using the service there was no real support costs there so but we stopped offering that because of the commodity type of business it was. Now that takes you through the story to the end of 2014 so it's 2015 which I really decided uh, to take the business full time and I'll talk about that in the next episode where we went from 2015 into the middle of 2016 but it ends with really the decision at that point um, I was halfway through my PhD I'd been doing a PhD at that point and I was thinking towards the end of it what I was going to do going onwards and I could see this affiliate income growing I could see I was really enjoying doing it. I was loving creating this content that was really valuable to people, getting good feedback on it. It seemed to be earning income, which was essentially passive. It, it not so passive. I mean, passive is a bit of a fallacy. If I stopped writing altogether, it would drop away. So it's never entirely passive. You need to maintain it. But still, I mean, you're putting this stuff out there and there's money coming back to you for something that you created months, years ago. So I was loving doing that and enjoying it. 
And so that's what made the decision really that I wanted to try and do that full time. And I'll talk again about how I sort of started to structure that in 2015. So that'll be in the next episode. Um, so that ties up really the story of where the podcast host went, how it was founded, where we went during the time between 2011 of its founding up to t- 2014, which was really the end of the part-time era of the podcast host. So I hope that was interesting. Uh, give you an idea of, you know, the progress of a content site like that. I think a lot of people start content sites thinking, I'm going to start creating passive income. I'm going to do a blog. I'm going to do a podcast thinking it's going to be an instant thing. But I mean, you can do it certainly quicker than I did it. But I'm not sure you can do a lot quicker, to be honest. I mean, that was that was probably the concentrated content started 2012. So, I mean, that was close on two and a half years before it started to generate enough income whereby, you know, an average person could maybe think about leaving their job. So by, like I say, it was on maybe £1,200 by the end of 2014. That's actually a relatively good wage. Well, not good. <laughs> it's not a good wage, but it's a wage you can live on. So by that point, you could have taken it full time. So that was about two and a half years from probably first starting content to getting to that stage. So I hope that's interesting. Gives you an idea uh, and maybe makes a a realistic um, picture around what it takes to build something like that. So the next thing I want to go on to is the lesson for today. Really, there was a few things I drew out of the time whereby... Um, I was growing the podcast host. I talked about that in the last segment. We grew the podcast host during 2011 to 2014. Lessons from that, the first of which I hinted towards uh, the end of that segment. Content takes time. I mean, this is uh, this is a long game. We talk to people, ask us realistically, you know, you're starting a podcast. How long is it going to take before we can grow a proper audience, before we can start to generate some income out of this, before it starts to bring real traffic towards our company? If you've got an existing audience already, it's different. You can start to accelerate it in certain ways. But if you're starting from scratch, it really is a long game. You're thinking six to 12 months before you start to gain a bit of traction. There's ways you can hack it, ways you can get around it, certainly. But If you can't afford to jump straight in and do it full time, if you're doing this alongside another job, then I'm thinking six to 12 months minimum before you start to generate some income, a couple of years before you can start to take it to the stage where I was, where I could have taken it full time. So we're making that sort of £1,200 by the end of 2014, which made me think that's enough that I can give up what I'm doing otherwise. The other thing was, the other lesson that I took from it was you got to try a bunch of stuff. I think there's a big fallacy right now, a big myth around the one thing. In one way, I do very much buy into it, and in another way, I entirely don't. The reason I entirely don't buy into it is I tried a shitload of stuff during 2011 to 2014. Those three years, we were trying all sorts of stuff. I talked about the hosting that we did. I was playing around with Mountain Bikes Apart as well, the other site that I ran at the time, completely different subject, trying different methods. I was playing with another site with my my dad, actually. My dad does lawn care, and we did a site called Lawns For You, which was designed to try and teach people how to create better gardens and sell lawn care products. So we were doing that as well. Um, and the podcast host, I was trying all sorts of different methods, the hosting, the content, uh, a bit of coaching as well. I tried all of these different things. And one or two things ended up working, which was the affiliate income and um, the hosting to an extent. But 
I mean, I could have chosen, I could have done the one thing approach and chosen one of those things and said, I'm going to stick to this for a year. And it wouldn't have worked. Maybe they would have worked slightly better if I'd put all of my effort into it. But I still believe actually that I found one that I found one area, which was the affiliate income in particular, that was that stands the best chance of growing large over a longer amount of time. And it also hinted to me that we could start to create much more content around courses, memberships, coaching, other areas related to that particular, you know, the thing that we'd found appealed to people. And we could grow that over time as well. I think that I had to try a couple, a bunch of stuff over a couple of years to find that one thing where my passion matched where income was going to come from. So trying five, six, seven different things, all of them are my passion, but there was only a few of them were going to generate real income. And throwing a little bit of effort at five or six different things, I could see which one grew fastest, which one grew most effectively. Like I say, if I'd thrown all of my effort at one of the things, so say Mountain Bikes Apart, grew a little bit of affiliate income, podcast host grew much more affiliate income. If I'd thrown all of my effort at Mountain Bikes Apart, that maybe would have grown a lot more income. But I see it, the way I see it is that the podcast host with the same effort grew more income and therefore it stands a better chance long term of growing much bigger, more effective. Also, maybe that market is more um, receptive, more easy to get into, uh, has a larger scale long term as well. So I do think you have to try a few different things at least rather than just concentrate on one thing, unless you've got a massive indication that that one thing is going to be profitable long term, which there's ways of doing. So I think there's a bit of a myth around that one thing. The When I think it does work is when you do see something that is working a little bit, then throw all your effort into it. So as soon as I saw that the podcast host was kind of the standout income of all of my different experiments, that was the signal to say, right, okay, let's bin all of the other things and jump in on this one. That is now my one thing for the next year. And we're going to try and grow that as much as we can. The last lesson I had from that period, 2011 to 2014, was you need to get out there and meet people. (laughs) I think a big factor in that 2014 growth wasn't just the content. It was the fact that actually I started to interact with a lot more communities. I got down to UK Pod 14 and I spoke at a conference uh, over the summer. And that not only started to grow my network, started to get me known for what I do, it inspired a lot of content. It inspired my confidence. It, it bolstered my confidence that I knew what I was talking about because I got great feedback on the talk. I talked to loads of people that I could tell were really into this, but they hadn't done as much research into this whole area. They didn't have as much experience, half as much experience as I did. It, may, it, it gave me the confidence that I actually was an, you know, not an expert. I would never be say I'm an expert in an area because there's always stuff to learn. But relative to the average person, I was definitely expert in podcasting, and I had something to teach. Uh, and it also it just started to raise my profile, uh, and it's inspired a lot of content as well. The questions I was asked. So get out there and meet people. I'm bad for just sitting behind my keyboard, emailing folk, twit- tweeting folk. You know. <laughs> being the person behind the screen and it's easy but getting out to that conference getting out my comfort zone speaking at a conference particularly 
was great for me. I think particularly for introverts like myself, if you go and speak at a conference, it means that you're seen. It means people come up and talk to you afterwards. You don't have to go and speak to people. That's the thing that terrifies me. I'm rubbish at going to networking things and trying to go up and speak to folk um, during those events. But when I go and speak at a conference, I do a presentation, people then come and speak to you. And it's brilliant because it's that icebreaker there. So those are the lessons that I learned from that first period of the podcast host and the other projects as well, Mountain Bikes Apart Lawns for You, during that 2010 to 2014 period where I grew it from part-time into a full-time income. I hope they're useful to you in terms of applying them to your own business. If you have any questions about them, anything to follow on, obviously, as always, get in touch the podcast host on Twitter or pop on to thepodcasthost.com forward slash numbers and you'll find the show notes for this. On to the next section of the show, which is, as you know, the experiment. And this is the bit I'm excited about on this show. This is the bit that I think uh, people are going to like. I'm going to like this. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a data geek. Maybe I'm just the one that likes testing stuff out and seeing real numbers. And I'd, part of my inspiration for this show was that I couldn't see any shows out there. And please do let me know if they exist. I would love to see them. I could see loads of shows out there that are documenting their journey. So there are shows out there with stories. There's shows out there that give you theory. They tell you this is a this is a tactic that I think can work for you. But there weren't any that were putting it into action and putting a story around it. So what I want to do is uh, give you an experiment every week or every month or the periods will differ. But you can follow along and see how we get on. And the first one I want to start with is related to email marketing. And it's because I'm doing a lot of work on our email marketing funnel just now to make sure that we are offering stuff that's really valuable to people, that's really good and useful to people uh, so that they come onto our funnel and we don't just sell to them. Obviously, the reason for a funnel is selling. We're going to give people access to our products. We're going to show them what we do. But the purpose of it really, the the main purpose is to give them a ton of value. So that starts with the opt-in. And this is what I'm experimenting with right now. So I'm sure you've all heard of the idea of a custom lead magnet. If you haven't come across a lead magnet at all, a lead magnet is really just a resource, uh, a tool, uh, something valuable that you give to people in exchange for them signing up to your mailing list. So if you go to a website and something pops up on the screen and says, uh, hello, thank you for reading my How to Eat More Healthy website. Here uh, is my ebook, which gives you 10 great recipes on how to eat more healthy this month. Just pop in your email address and I'll send you it. The purpose of that, obviously, is to get you onto their email list so that they can then start sending you more stuff and eventually try and sell you a product. But the lead magnet is genuinely valuable. It's genuinely useful to you, which is going to persuade you to sign up. And it's going to make you like that person or that company because they've given you something good in the first place. So lead magnets have to be good. They have to be useful in the first place. So that's what a lead magnet is. It's an ebook is the classic example. You send them an ebook which gives them, teaches them something valuable. So a lead magnet can be general. It can be something, and this is what we've done previously. We had a how to podcast book uh, which we gave out. So that was our general lead magnet across the whole website. Traditionally, the conversion rates on that type of lead magnet, i.e. how many people sign up for it as a percentage of your total visitors, is not great because that is, is such a generic thing like how to podcast. There'll be so many people come to our site that know how to podcast. They're looking to grow their show or looking to monetize their show. There'll be so many people on our site see 
I kind of I want to know how to podcast, but I don't I, I don't want to read an eighty page book on it. I just want to know what equipment I need. So it's so general that actually it's not that appealing. So it did work for us. We used to get conversions of around one and a half to two percent. So that would be every two people out of every hundred would actually fill in their email and get the book. But that's not really good enough. I mean, we're not really getting enough people onto our email list for that. So that brings us to the idea of a custom lead magnet, whereby you create something that is actually more tailored to the post they're reading. So the idea behind this is that if somebody searches for um, the best, what is the best digital recorder I can use to record a podcast interview, then they'll find my article, which is best digital recorders. They'll read that, they'll find a recorder that suits their lives, that solves their problems, and they'll go, that was great, wonderful. And then instead of a pop-up popping up which says how to podcast, which they don't need because if they're advanced enough to be buying digital recorders, they know how to podcast. Instead, a pop-up's going to pop up which says something like, here's five tips on how to best utilise a digital recorder in a noisy environment or something like that. So it's something that's really tailored to the post. So they read the post, they get the, they get the value, they like you because you've given them something good. And then you're wanting to pop something up, which actually adds to that. Maybe it's a checklist. Here's the five things you should check on your digital recorder every time you record to make sure you get the best quality. Something like that. Something quite specific. Something short. A lot of people don't, like I say, they don't want to read an 80-page ebook. They just want to read like a three or four-page set of tips, which gives them something valuable. So that's what I want to try. So the experiment for the next four weeks is that I'm. Uh, we created a Skype checklist. So it's one of the most common ways to gather content for your podcast is to interview people via Skype. Uh, But the trouble is that people on the other end, your interviewees, your guests, often... Often it's their quality that ruins your show. They've not checked that they're in a quiet environment. They've not checked that they're not using their internal... Uh, mic on the laptop which is terrible they they want to put a headset in they've not checked they've turned off Dropbox so that the Skype connection stays reliable there's there's 10-15 things in our Skype checklist that you can send to guests for them to tick off to make sure that they take two minutes just to go through this checklist to give you the best possible chance of getting a really good quality Skype interview so this is just a three or four page guide Uh, yeah something like that that we send out that we can give to people that helps them get a better interview, essentially. And I'm putting this on all of our posts that are related to Skype recording. So people are searching for what's the best way to record a Skype call? Uh, What's the best software to record a Skype call? What is equipment setups? What are equipment setups that allow me to record Skype in a digital recorder? We've We've got a range of articles related to this topic. And what I'm doing is putting this pop up on all of our posts that are related to these Skype calls, okay? So um, it's only maybe, I don't know, I have 5% of all the posts on our site, but it's a category. And it means that that lead magnet is really well tailored to all of those posts. It's not directly tailored. It's not as detailed as a custom lead magnet for every single post, because that takes a long time. That's a really hard thing to do. If you're putting out three, four blogs a week, creating three, four custom lead magnets, this is instead creating a lead magnet for a category. So it's much more tailored than just a general lead magnet, but it's much more sustainable in that you don't have to create a brand new lead magnet for every single post you do. So that's what we're doing. I put that on uh, about three or four days ago. So it's now running. Um, I'll talk about what we use to actually run this on a future episode. I think I've already spent enough time explaining the experiment. I don't want to go too long, too much longer on this one, but I will talk about 
uh, the software we use to run these kind of tests, to run our pop-ups. Um, and I'll tell you all about that, how that works. But right now we've got a pop-up coming up uh, on every, it's an exit intent pop-up. So everybody, when they, uh, when it looks like they're going to leave, that pop-up will, will appear and I'll ask them to sign up. I've got an A-B test running on that for the headline. So I've got two different headlines. I can explain more. I'll show you the exact details in that next time around, actually, when I report back on our first week's findings. Um, and I've also got... Uh, an end of a post opt-in as well. So that just means an opt-in box at the end of the post. So if they're not looking like they're going to leave, they get to the bottom of the post and there's a sign up straight away there, which says, enjoy this, uh, then get our Skype list uh, check-in, uh, checklist. <laughs> get our Skype call checklist. Uh, and I want to test both an A-B test on the pop-ups, different headlines, but also compare the pop-up conversion to the bottom of the post conversion and see how that works because pop-ups controversial not always great um so you kind of don't want to use them if you don't have to but i want to see if they're if they convert so much better that it's worth annoying people a little bit then you know you can use them but this is what i want to get i want to get the data that proves whether that is the fact or not Okay, that was the first episode of The Numbers Game. Well, the first real episode. I know we had an introduction. That was episode zero, I suppose. <laughs> so this is episode one of The Numbers Game finishing up. I uh, enjoyed that. I felt good about it. I'm, <laughs> as well as sharing the stats, I'm going to share my thoughts, my feelings along the way. I, I feel like I could have done some bits better there. I am not quite used to the format yet, I have to admit. But you know what? I'm just going to put it out there because... If I'm trying to make this perfect every time, if I try and be 100% uh, in love with every single episode, do it perfectly, just as I know, that, you know, the best that I could do every single time. There I go. See, I'm wobbling. I'm kind of stumbling over my words again, but I'm going to put it out uh, because if I do that, if I try and make it perfect every time, I'm not going to get this done. And part of the experiment here is how to do content sustainably, how to make it so that I can put out something that's really valuable. Um that people enjoy that gives you something that I can still manage to find the time to do every single week. So, and part of that is um, practicing treating things like live. That's how I tend to pe speak to our clients, how pe people we're working with, people on our website. Think how you think about podcasting, try and treat it as live because as soon as you introduce a lot of editing, that's what really brings a big barrier into it. And I, I enjoy editing. I, I can do edit. It's like, it's a skill but I don't want to have to spend the time doing it. So uh, there's places throughout this episode where I think I could have spoken it better. I could have linked the two segments better. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you're going to get this whole thing all together. But I want to split it up into segments on video as well. So you might be just viewing each segment separately. And I think I need to work on the way that I present those segments so that they are more standalone. So giving them an intro and an outro. So that's something I want to work on, something I don't think I did brilliantly this time around. So yeah, I'm going to reflect on each one as we go along. Hopefully it gives you some tips on how maybe you can sort of innovate with your own shows, uh, sort of tailor them a little bit, maybe refine them a little bit so that you can make it more sustainable, put them out in different formats, that type of stuff. It's all playing around. It's all good fun, trying different types of media. So I would love to know what you think. Please do get in touch. Tweet me, the podcast host 
on Twitter. You can get me at the underscore podcast underscore host on Instagram. I'm doing uh, stories on there at least once a day or trying to do them at least once a day so you can see what's going on behind the scenes on Instagram. And uh, you can also get in touch via the website. <laughs> I'm doing a short link right now because I haven't even set up the website yet. Thepodcasthost.com forward slash numbers doesn't even exist right now but hopefully by the time you're hearing this it will i'll have created something whereby you can talk in the comments you can give us a comment um on the website or there'll be contact details there too if you want to send me an email if it's something private please do let me know what you think of the format what you think i can improve brutal feedback is always welcome and i do mean that uh brutal with you know a bit of feeling like saying uh, oh, i like this bit but uh you know, give me less of that. <laughs> um, you know, what is it they say about feedback? It's got to be a bit of a... Um, uh, it's got to be a, a good feedback, bad feedback sandwich. So you give a bit of good feedback, then you give the really shitty feedback, and then you give the good feedback. So it's like, you know, a sandwich with lovely bread, but uh, something horrible in between, whatever you don't like. Uh, so yeah, but to, honestly, brutal feedback is welcome. Please do tell me what you like, what you don't like and I will improve on it next time around. But that is it for this week. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for giving me your time. I know it's valuable. I do appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye.